Andrew McCart, IFL TV in association with MTK Global. I'm here in beautiful Monte Carlo, Monaco. With me, I've got Tony Sims. Tony, we've just been talking off camera about how beautiful this is, man. Can you just sum it up yourself? Yeah. What would you say? Like, of all the shows we do, like your call, you know, all the places <laughs> we go around London, and then we find ourselves in uh, Monaco. Beautiful weather. I want to get a wee pan around just to show people what, where, where we're sitting right now. There's the ocean over there. I mean, look at this. The Monte Carlo Bay Hotel, what a wonderful hotel, it's like a Vegas hotel here. Beautiful. And uh, beautiful, and we're just sitting in the sun, lapping it up. Well, you've got the sun directly on your face, so you'll probably get a nice tan. It's going to hit the, the bald spot in the back of my head. But, uh, you have a redneck, wouldn't exactly you? Exactly, a redneck. <laughs> but we're in Monaco, we're in Monte Carlo. The reason we're here is uh, you'll fight a Joe Cardina, he's fighting a tough Mexican in Tinoco. As we all know, if anyone watched uh, the Jordan Gill fight, stop Jordan Gill. Tough fighter for Joe. Um, but. He's moving down on weight, Joe, for the first time. How is he making weight in that transition to go down to super featherweight from lightweight? And how is he feeling this week? Yeah, like you say, he's a tough fighter, Tanoko. He came over to England and stopped Jordan Gill a few months back. Uh, he boxed Devon Aini and lost a, a decision to Devon Aini, which shows his toughness went distance, as well. He? he went a distance, mm -hmm. 10 rounds. So we know how good Devon Aini is. So, you know, uh, he, he's going to come to win the fight. You know, he's had a lot, a lot of notice. You know, he must have had like 12 weeks notice for this fight, so he'd be in great condition as well. So, expecting a tough fight and, uh, yeah, um, you know, we've moved Joe down a weight because on the last fight he had, we brought a dietitian in, uh, Dan Lawrence, who's his S&C coach as well, and um, he, he put him on a strict diet for the first time because Joe sort of was making lightweight easy. And uh, the week before the fight, or on the Monday of the fight, he, he was only he was weighing 9.8, so he was a pound under the lightweight mm -hmm. limit. So then we were saying to him, you need to eat something to uh, weigh in on the Friday. So I said to him afterwards, listen, if you're only a, if you're a pound under the white, lightweight limit on a Monday, it means you're only four pound over the super feather limit, which you should be going into the week's fight. That's the weight you should be, three or four pound over. So I said, really, you're, you're a natural super feather if you're eating properly. And like this, this time, he's done the weight. And uh, he was weighing nine, five and a half on Monday. So he's had a pound and a half all week to shift, which is easy. So, he still came on half a pound under, didn't he? Yeah, he came half a pound under. Yeah, he woke up this morning like um, nine stone four. And then by the time we got to the weigh-in, he was like nine, three and a half. So, it just shows you that he is a natural super feather, but obviously he's got a box at that weight yet. Mm. So, you know, until he's boxed at that weight, he won't know what he feels like. But I think he'll be fine. You know, he always gets himself in good condition, Joe. He's a good professional. And it's a good test for him as well. It's a great test for him. He ain't just coming into a super featherweight fight where he's had like an eight rounder against just a journeyman. He's gone into a super feather fight where he's got a really hard fight on his hands. And, um, you know, it's a good test for him tomorrow. He's going to be a big super featherweight job. I mean, he's my height, yeah. do you know what I mean? So, yeah. I, I kind of envision me getting down to nine stone four, but it just, you think where Joe moving down, it's, uh, we've seen him fight Gavin Gwen, we talked again yeah. on camera. He was six foot one, a big guy. Do you think this is where Joe's going to be more comfortable fighting smaller guys? Oh, this might be a stupid question, really, but fighting the smaller guys, we can probably see more of Joe's power, more mm. of Joe's skill set against these smaller guys and stuff like that. Well, that, that's what I was thinking, mm. you know, because when you're a small lightweight, and you start fighting big lightweights, you know, and as you, as you start moving up through, uh, through the ranks as well, like when you get into world level, some of these lightweights are massive, you know, like uh, I had Devon Aini down the gym, as you know, sparring yeah. a, a couple of months ago against Ricky Burns, and he's like 
with twice the size of Ricky Burns and Ricky Burns is a big when Ricky Burns stands next to Joe Cordina Ricky Burns is a big lightweight yeah. you know and Devon Haney was dwarfing him so I said to Joe look you ain't this weight mate you ain't a lightweight you know you, you, you got to do this properly be professional work hard over the 12 week course and get your weight down gradually and you'll make super fairly comfortable which he has done you, you can see Joe world champion at this weight then and is more more quicker than we can if he was at lightweight Do you know what I'm saying? I like, hope so maybe because Joe's a British champion come off champion WBA is it continental, is it continental international champion, champion lightweight yeah. international yeah. champion and then doing it super featherweight I mean if he does a number on Tonoko here, maybe his name will start rolling with some of the world champions. Yeah, exactly. And like you say, he's a big super featherweight. I mean, mm. if you look at him standing next to Tonoko at the weigh-in, you know, he looks massive compared mm. to him. So, and you always want to try and be the biggest you can on your weight, as long as you're making it comfortable. Yeah. You know, and like, everyone in the gym, they all, every, everyone obviously all, obviously works hard to get down on their weight and he's the only one <laughs> who like gets two weeks before the fight and starts dieting you know and that, that, that's that's not good enough is it, if you want to be a top elite professional well, i've got to get your opinion because obviously you're one of them coaches that you don't get interviewed as much I mean, you see guys like uh, maybe dave caldwell joe gallagher and all these guys they get interviewed quite a lot talk about their fighters big their fighters up but we don't really hear from yourself now I really want to get your opinion on last weekend, Cam Smith, John Ryder. Um, I don't know what you're going to say, so I'm looking forward to this. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of outcry on Twitter. A lot of people thought that, maybe 90% of people thought that uh, John Ryder won on Twitter. Um, obviously, you've been John Ryder's coach. What was your initial reaction to the scorecards last weekend? Well, as the fight finished, the bell went for the 12th round. I, I naturally thought that John had won the fight. I knew it was a pretty close fight. But um, I just thought he won the fight. You know, when you look at, um, defensively, he was a more sound fighter. You know, he didn't really take any punches, no punishment at all. And uh, he was slipping and sliding and rolling beautifully. And his counter punches was lovely. And, uh, you know, as he got into the later rounds, I knew, say, after eight rounds, it was pretty close, pretty even. But I thought if he starts pulling away in the last four rounds, which I believe, out of the last four, he won the last three. I, I thought he, I thought he won it by a good couple of rounds. But when they first read out the decision of um, 117-111, the first judge's decision, I just thought to myself, surely they ain't give it to John by that margin because this is a close fight. I, I didn't think that Callum had still won the fight. I just thought that's a bit of a wide margin to get at John. And when they went 116-112, I still thought John had the fight. And then when they said Callum Smith, it was just like, I felt choked for John. I really felt choked for him because when you, I've been with him all through his career mm. and he's had one of them careers when a lot of fighters would have packed it in. You know, he's, um, he's lost fights that he should have won. Uh, you know, mentally he must have dipped so low in his life where he, he must have been contemplating retiring himself, especially after the Jack Armfield fight. You know, he couldn't make weight for that fight, and we're talking about weight as well. He couldn't make weight for that fight. He struggled really badly, and that showed his in performance. Even though I thought he won that fight as well, yeah. uh, but he was like ponderous in the fight. He was slow. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. And he said to me, oh, "I was, I just can't fight at middleweight anymore." And um, and leading up to the Jack Armfield fight, he was like, "I remember we got him on because he got beat by Nick Blackwell." Mm -hmm. And he said to me then, he, he was struggling to do the weight, but I was, 
he weren't saying to me then he wanted to go up a weight. He just said, oh, I'm struggling to do this weight. And in, the, in them days, we didn't really have top dietitians in them yeah. days like we've got now. We've got like Dan Lawrence now, who's like a really good dietitian, S&C coach. But in them days, they weren't really heard of. So you was all trying to read up and try to do your mm -hmm. best with the weight. But obviously, he wasn't doing the weight right. And like after that defeat, before the Jack Arnold fight, Arnfield fight, um, no, I remember going, we couldn't get him a fight. And he was sitting around and he said, look, I want to fight, you know. And we went to uh, the Camden Centre. Mickey Elliott done us a favour, funny enough. He put us on a little Camden Town Hall show. We were standing in the changing rooms. There was about 15 boxers in the changing room, swelting up. You know, and he boxed a six-rounder against the Russian kid who was tough, funny enough. And he gave him a tough fight. And I think he ended up with about 400 quid at his purse for it. You know, and he must have been thinking at the time, is this what my life turned out to be like? I started off as a top prospect, boxed for the British title against Billy Joe Saunders. That could have gone either way, that fight, by the way, that night. Yeah. Billy won it by, I think he won it by a point or maybe two points on the scorecards. There's no arguing about it. I, I personally thought John might have nicked it or it might have been a draw, but it wasn't, you know, that's my opinion. I'm always going to be a little bit biased, but... After that, he must have been thinking, where's my career going here? You know, yeah. boxing at the Camden Centre, 400 pounds, like, what am I doing, you know? And then um, and then he said to me one day, look, I'm gonna move up a weight and give it a try. And I said, John, you're like five foot nine inches tall, you know, <laughs> someone who's super middleweight, you're huge. And um, he said, look, I'm gonna give it a try, because if I don't give it a try, I might as well pack up. You know, and he moved up the way, up the way. He had an hard first fight against Adam Etches, who was something, I can't remember his record, but he'd lost one out of like... And he was known as a quite a hard hitter, Adam Etches. He was hard hitter, tough kid. Uh, he'd lost one fight. That was to Sergio Kamitsky. That's he, right, he yeah. Was a good fighter. That was in Sheffield, that was it, that That's fight, That's right. Yeah. And he'd moved up to suit middle as well from middle. And John had, John put in a good performance against him. He hurt Etches in one of the rounds. It might have been the ninth attempt. He hurt him a couple of times, nearly had him out on his feet, just couldn't finish him. Then the next fight, he boxed Rocky Fielding. Split decision uh, that night. I think the split decision, he lost by a point. So I remember thinking, he had Fielding out on his feet in the 11th round. Didn't finish him again. And uh, I remember thinking, John's won this. Same thing in Liverpool, John's won this fight. You know, we're celebrating in the corner. And then it went split decision the other way. So by that point, he must have been thinking, what am I doing? Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I've moved up a weight and this ain't working. And then the Patrick Nelson fight come out of the blue, really. I think they just took John on because he'd been here and there. He's had a couple of British title fights. A couple of big names in Billy yeah. Joe yeah. And Patrick Nelson was like number one ranked with the WBA. So they're obviously thinking, right, we'll put him on a George Groves, uh, Jamie Cox undercard and we'll just get an opponent in from John Ryder who's awful decent, you know. And then John put the performance of his life in that night, you know, he knocked he knocked him unconscious, I think it was the sixth or seventh round. And bang, he's put himself back in the frame. Eddie then offers him the Jamie Cox fight, bang two rounds, that's over and done with. Uh, and then he goes into the final eliminator against Sorotsky, who was an unbeaten Russian, 15 and 0, takes that fight didn't perform that great that night. He got badly cut in the second round, which obviously hampered him. And, uh, but he got the job done, seven round bang. Then that was in last October. So now yeah. we're sitting around again, nothing's happening. Like Callum Smith's allowed to do a voluntary before he's mandatory. Now we're sitting around and nothing, nothing, nothing. 
then um, he's ticking over in the gym and then Eddie says, look, Golden Boy want John to fight David Lemieux on the Canelo undercard. Risky fight. John's mandatory, he don't need to fight David Lemieux. No. Not at all. You know, massive puncher. And I know Billy Joe completely outboxed David Lemieux, but John Ryder ain't Billy Joe style. You know, John Ryder gets in there and he blasts you out himself. So that was going to be an explosive fight and that could have gone boss-eyed for John, you yeah. know, and mentally he had to prepare himself mentally there that he could lose his mandatory position and um, we took the fight, the interim title was on the line and as you know, uh, like the week before the fight, Dave Lemieux injured his hand, which I know was legitimate, I know now that it's legitimate, because yeah, yeah. I spoke to the sparring partner, Douglas Douglin, who he was sparring with, and he injured, boy. yeah, and he injured his hand. But at that time, we was over there, and uh, like when they said change of opponent, and they said this is the guy you're fighting. He's a golden boy fighter. Eddie Ronaldo trains him. He's, he's Canelo's sparring partner. He's had like 20 wins. I think I can't remember any KOs, 16 or 17 KOs. Mm. I was thinking we've we've been out over there. We've been brought in, and. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going to go on here now. You know, we've got a young, fresh puncher in front of us. And anyway, uh, so that's, that's the week before. On the Wednesday of the fight, uh, we're just doing our last workout and we're going to go to the public workout. of the, in, It was in the MGM Grand, which as a fighter, you know, to go and do the public workout before Canelo, in the MGM Grand, it's like what you dream of all yeah, your life. Yeah. Next thing you know, uh, <coughs> my Charlie rings me. He says, uh, "Right, the Nevada Commission's been onto uh, onto him, and we've got an have an MRA scan done because apparently, when you first turn professional in Britain, you have an MRI and an MRA, and that MRA lasts you for your career basically. Once you've had one, you don't yeah. need to have another because the MRI is more." sophisticated than the MRA. But they in Nevada, it's every five years you've got to have an oh, MRA. Really? Yeah, so John's was obviously 10 years ago. Mm. So he said, you got to have an MRA. Oh, all right. Goes to do the MRA. Sorry, that was the day before the public workout. Sorry, done the MRA the day before the public workout. As we're going to the public workout, they ring us and go, oh, your MRA ain't come back complete, like, uh, doctors are having trouble reading it so now what we want you to do is we want you to go and have a CT CAT scan this was so we went and missed the public work this is all before the fight it's all before the fight bearing in mind the day before we're traveling to hospitals having yeah, the MRA yeah, yeah. on this is on the Wednesday we've got to have the CT CAT scan now so goes and has a CT CAT scan now it's like Thursday morning we get the call saying oh the doctor can't read it properly. We're not sure where it is. You can't read the CT scan either. Yeah, we're not sure about the CT scan now. So I'm going, what do you mean you're not sure about? You're not sure about the MRA scan. You're not sure about the CT scan. Yet we only done our MRI scan just before we come over here. And it was fine, bobbled past it fine. Oh yeah, well, there's something that might not be right. So I'm saying, so what do you want to do? So I think we need to go and have another CT scan, CAT scan. This is just before not ideal prep is it just before the press conference so i went listen he's got a press conference in a minute all right let him do the press conference all right and he goes there's another one oh no we don't go and have another one after the press conference I go, you know what 
I ain't gonna let him do another one. You've pulled him around for two mm. days here and there. I'm not gonna let him do another scan. So we might as well go home. And then we went, listen, let me speak to the doctor again. Then the doctor went, oh yeah, it's all right, that scan. I've read it. They give it to another doctor. Oh, all right, okay. Another doctor read it. I went, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. So I went to John. So we've had a pull out of opponent week before. I've had two days of hospitals here since we've been here. And that was his preparation for the week's fight. Uh, so this is what I was talking about in the press conference. Mentally, John Ryder is a very, very strong individual. Nothing phases John Ryder. And you can see on fight week with Callum Smith, nothing phased him. Whatever people were saying to him, however much people ignored him before the fight and thought he was going to get knocked out in three rounds, what I was trying to get across was John Ryder is a very, very strong minded individual from what he's come from down on the bottom mm. to come to the top like he has. He's been through what he's been through. And he's not made any money out of the sport, by the way, either. And, that, and that's another thing. He's like 31, never made any money, do you know what I mean? But he still keeps progressing. He still keeps training hard. He's still trying to live his dream, you know, find his dream that he's dreamt of since he was 15 that's years old. Champion. To be a world champion, which is every fighter's dream. And then to come to come into the fight, 25 to 1 underdog, uh, put the performance of his life in, by the way, which not one person... Against somebody like Callum Smith as well. Callum Smith, yeah. 26 and 0, 19 knockouts. Great fighter, by the way. I really rate Callum. Fantastic fighter. You know, I've watched nearly all his fights, you know, and uh, a really good fighter, a lovely kid as well. You know, and it, it was always going to be an hard fight, always, in my eyes. But I always believed John had the, had the mental strength and the will. Oh, 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 oh. That's, that's on film, Tony, that's on oh, film. That's on. Nearly fell in the swimming pool. Let <laughs> me turn that off. It's Charlie ringing me. Charlie. Thanks, Charlie, nearly chucked me in the pool. Wait till he sees this. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and to, to come back, can't do what he'd done in the fight. And for the decisions to come back like that, I was just heartbroken for the kid. I really was, because that was his dream there. That night was his dream. And not just his dream, but his financial future, you know, you know, to go and, because he always said to me, I want to buy a house for my wife and kids. You know, and it, it's heartbreaking to see yeah. that happen. It really is on a, on a night where he should have been raising his arms in the air. He should have had the ring magazine team belt around him. He should have been in his next fight. He should have been secure. His name in the hat for Canelo and Colts. Like yeah. You know, and that's what you dream of your whole life. You know, and it's like I said before, look, I had John winning the fight, but it was an hard fight. And if they'd have read out scores of like 115, 114, split decision, I probably wouldn't have said anything because I'd have thought, you know what? It's an hard fight. Yeah. He's the home fighter, he's the champion. John fought unbelievable out of his skin, but when you get scores happening like that, it's just like, nah, mate. Would you be lobbying for the rematch? Do you want the rematch? I'll, Stupid I'll, question, maybe, but do you want, is that something you want next for John, or maybe in, in the near future? Of course, and uh, I wrote to the WBA, uh, asking for John to be in mandatory position. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Eddie spoke to the WBA. Uh, Eddie obviously would like to do the rematch because I think it's like I was talking earlier to somebody, it's like they were saying like it's like the Groves and Frotch fight when the first fight when uh, when Groves fought Frotch, everyone thought, you know, Frotch was gonna demolish him in a couple of rounds and George put the performance of his life in. Got stopped in the end, but it was controversial. Yeah. So the public demand 
called for that rematch. The public demand is a big outcry because of the official, and he got made. And I think we're going through that same thing at the moment with the public outcry. I mean, this has been going on all week now. You know, I'm getting bombarded with messages. I know I don't go on social media, but obviously all my boxers do, and my team, you know, and it's still going on about this decision. And, uh, you know, if the public want to make this rematch, and then the rematch will get made. Um, obviously, if I'm looking for um, Joe Gallagher and Callum Smith team, um, they obviously want to do like the Canelo fight, yeah. which I don't blame them, I would be, I would be doing that, I wouldn't be thinking I'm going to fight John Ryder again, you know, but it's dependent on how much the public wants to see this fight again, and if Callum Smith don't get the Canelo fight, you know, then it might be made, but when I was talking to Eddie earlier, I know Callum's in the reckoning for the fight, I know Billy Joe's in the reckoning for the Canelo fight, if the worst comes to the worst, and then John will get a world title shot, maybe the regular belt, but he will get something next, which is is a is a good position to be in still, because I still believe John can become a world champion and, and get his dream. Uh, and if he does he get he does get a belt of some sort, then it might push for the rematch as well even more, you know, because I think people do truly believe that John John is the world champion even though the judges didn't, you know, and the public, no, you know, no, no won that fight. And, uh, and I think John thinks, feels in himself that he won the fight. He's probably good performance against guys like Blade Joe, Rockfield and Cam Smith. I mean, if anything, his stock has risen again, even though you can take any positives from that loss, is that John's stock has risen yet again. So people are starting to maybe know who John Ryder is, know the type of fighter he is, and like you say, the public will. Again, I say like Twitter's a powerful tool because the majority of fights nowadays are made on Twitter with two yeah. boxes going back and forth, you know, so the fans are crying like maybe you, for you obviously John the rematch or if not like you said the regular belt could be on display. Yeah. Um, but I want to touch yourself on a little bit something else is like I want to talk about Saudi Arabia next weekend because Anthony Joshua's got the rematch against Ruiz and you had Anthony uh, for the first part of his career. I mean how how do you see that fight going next weekend? Yeah, obviously the big talk is all about the fight now. Yeah. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the fight. Um, I think if Anthony Joshua boxes smart, uses his feet, box behind the jab nice and long, uses his straight combinations on Ruiz, and then when Ruiz comes inside, he can tie him up a bit, messing around. He's got the sides, he can lean on him. I think Joshua can be smart and beat him. But the trouble is, if he starts trading on the inside again, Ruiz is dangerous on the inside because the reason is his hands are so fast and he obviously punches hard as well and he's an inside fighter. So it just depends how Joshua comes into this fight. We've seen photos of him, he looks in great condition and uh, you know we're expecting an hard fight but I do believe that he can pull this off down from Joshua. I, can, I believe he can be two-time heavyweight champion in the world, which not a lot of people have done that. Yep. Uh, he's smart enough to do it, and you know, I'd love to see him do it. He's such a, a nice man. I mean, like I said, you, you, you trained Anthony the early part of his career, and you know the type of man he is, but how would you describe his mindset going into this fight? I mean, coming off the loss, a stoppage loss at that against somebody he, he was sort of like pegged on to win. So, 
how, how, how do you think Anthony's approaching this fight in Saudi Arabia next weekend? I think through Kemp, knowing what I know of Anthony Joshua, he'd have probably been approaching it in an angry sort of way. Because when you get to know Anthony, he's got a lot of fire in his belly that he don't really perceive to, people, to the public. He's got a lot of fire in his belly. And he would have hated that. That loss, he would have hated it. And uh, it was just the manner in which he lost as well. Yeah. I know we've been, when we're talking about mental state of mind, because I like to talk about that a lot of boxers, I think. I like to think that if he's 70% mental in this game of boxing, and I think your mental state of mind has to be 110% when you're getting in the ring to win a fight. And I don't, I don't know because I weren't in that camp and I weren't around him, but to me, he didn't look like he was under 10% on that fight mentally. And for, for that sort of opponent, Andy Ruiz, who's a dangerous fast fighter inside, you've got to be switched on every second of the round. And I think when he dropped him, and he went in for the kill straight away, and he got caught back, I think he just took him completely out of his stride, you know, he was on the floor. him, outsmart him, use his size and reach to beat him and use his feet. He's got good feet when he needs to use them and he's light on his feet for a big man. And uh, as I say I've seen photos of him and he looks like he's trimmed down, you know, and uh, sometimes I feel like he's carrying too much muscle on him as yeah. well, which obviously makes you feel heavy. And I feel like he can really pull this off next week. I really hope he does. Well, it'd be good for British boxing if he does pull it off as well. I mean you like I said you had Joshua, but what and what happened to the sort of your relationship with Josh, if you don't mind me asking? But then no, no, nothing. We had a contract, like, three year contract, and the contract ran out. That so yeah. That's all it was. There's nothing, you know, it's just business. I think the world of Anthony, you yeah. know, still messes him and he still messes me, you know, and he's got a great coach in Bob and Cracker. He's brought an angle he, Fernandez as well. Yeah, he's know, brought a couple of other coaches in. He, like, he likes having a couple of coaches around him. He's always had me around, you know, in the past. And Bob, Maybe I was getting maybe busy myself with my own stable because at that time he was like training in my gym for the first three years and um, then he decided to move more to Sheffield uh, with Rob and uh, you know and that's what happened and a contract ran out and that was it, there's, there's nothing else in that, you know what I mean and uh, as I say I wish him all the best and you know, I hope he pulls it off. I think we all wish him all the best. Well Tony, I won't keep you much longer, I mean I'm just going to get cold now, the wind's starting to pick up a little bit. Uh, we go back up and get a coffee. Nice one, mate. Thanks, for Thanks, Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Thanks very much, mate. He is special. Oh, absolute dynamite. Oh, my goodness. Here we go.